Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. The Colts fall to 0-2 on the season, 27-24 Rams over the Colts in Week 2. Back-to-back losses, back-to-back home losses. The only silver lining is they were back-to-back NFC West losses. Because when you think back to last season, we went 4-0 against the NFC. And we lost virtually every single AFC tiebreaker going into the playoffs. Which almost costed us a playoff spot at 11-5. So you want every game you could get. You want as many wins as possible. You want to sweep the NFC and go 13-3. Or now 13-4 with the 17th game. And make the playoffs at ease. But you think back to last year. If the Dolphins beat the Bills in week 17. We missed the playoffs at 11-5. and With the 7th spot added that third wild card. So we were very close. Dangerously close to missing the playoffs last year. Even with 11 wins. So people are going to say. Oh you're overreacting. You're making too much of two games. This is not baseball. There's no 162 or... 82 games in basketball. There's 17 games, even with the additional game, even with the additional wild card spot. 17 games is 17 games, and the AFC is very talented. There's a lot of really good teams in the AFC, and we have a really good one in our division who made a crazy comeback against the team who beat us last week in the Seattle Seahawks with the Titans coming back, going to overtime. Henry ran wild. They won that game. So, We're sitting at 0-2. We're going to Tennessee. We have a lot of things to break down and talk about in this game. Six points with four trips into the red zone. That's 2.5 points per red zone possession, which is awful. We're averaging less than a field goal per trip to the red zone. That's not going to beat the Rams. And it came close today, so everybody wants to kill the defense. Was the defense perfect? No, but when the offense averages 2.5 points per trip to the red zone and one of your two touchdowns comes on special teams, that's going to be hard to get it done against the Los Angeles Rams because they have so much talent. So we're going to get to that. We had a turnover on downs. First and goal from the one. Couldn't score. Next time down inside the 10-yard line, a shovel pass interception to Jack Doyle. You have 6'7", Moali Cox. You have 6'4", Michael Pittman Jr. You have 6'6", Jack Doyle, who you throw a shovel pass to. You're not throwing a fade. You're not throwing anything up. Michael Strawn, no. You're throwing a shovel pass inside. The offensive line, atrocious in this game. Back-to-back weeks, the offensive line has really, really struggled. And I feel awful for Carson Wentz, who's running for his life a majority of the time. He left Philadelphia thinking, I have to get away from this offensive line. I'm going to Indianapolis, where they have been elite in 2018, 19, and 20, and they have been everything but elite in 2021. So that has to change. Reich has to be better. He has to evolve. He has to adapt. He has to get the Colts out of this vacuum they seem to be sucked into offensively week in and week out when the field shrinks and as the game progresses it is not good and it's not a formula for winning games but you can't even start to begin to think about winning games if you don't have Carson Wentz so Jason that's where we have to start this thing off we do have a lot to get to but you can't look past the ankle injury to Carson Wentz at the end of this game it's 27-24 he exits the game he would have had ball with a chance to either tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter he could have had a potential game-winning drive for the Colts, but he wasn't able to play on that ankle. And when you watch these games, 
the entire time we're thinking he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. And I was having flashbacks to 2012 up until 2016, 2017 with Andrew Luck running for his life behind the Chuck Pagano, Ryan Grigson offensive line. So this was bad. This 0-2 start is bad. And you have a huge game next week, a game you really don't want Jacob Eason starting in just due to lack of experience and so on and so forth on the road against the Tennessee Titans because next week our season could very well start and end on the same day. Yeah, there's no question, Luke. I mean, I haven't felt this low in a while as far as just being down about my about the Colts. They hung in the game. I really couldn't really ask outside of the, 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 the shovel pass that, you know, Aaron Donald makes a really good play on that no one's even giving him credit for. They're just saying Wentz is an idiot for making the play. Outside of that, I thought Wentz was better than good. Somebody said, are, when are you going to admit that Wentz has played well or, or has played good in the first two games? He's played better than good. Mm-hmm. He's been under insane pressure in the first two games. And then, I mean, Donald rolls up on the ankle, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. We still don't know what the severity of it is. But I would be shocked, shocked if he plays next week, yeah. only because, I mean, if you watch the replay, that looked it looked bad. It did. I mean, the fact that he he walked off the field and all that great, but it's going to stiffen up, and and it's just. It's we're, we're just it's just everything's going wrong, man. I mean, literally all kinds of things have happened with this team, and it just feels like a bad. It's like a snowball, Luke. Everything's just going downhill, and you're trying to you know get in front of it, and slow it down, and it just. I mean, it's just one thing after another. You know, we we finally get Fisher Smith is out. You move Davenport over there. He gets absolutely destroyed. The offensive line is all over the place. You know, Fisher's on a snap count. We can't run the ball. You know, the defense is inconsistent. The offense can't score inside the 10-yard line. I mean, it's just, it's just so many things. And and then, But the one thing that we had to have to have a chance this year is for Carson to stay healthy. I said that all along. The key to the season, and, and, and this is obviously common sense, but the key to the season is him staying healthy. We don't even make it two games, and that is very disheartening. I don't feel great about the rest of the season, to be quite honest with you, because even if Carson comes back, if the offensive line doesn't play better, it's only a matter of time till he gets hurt again. Mm-hmm. So we have the Colts have a lot of issues. They have got to get fixed, and they have to get them fixed fast, or this season could be over before it gets started. Yeah, and in that person's defense, to their point, last week on the podcast, on the game recap, we never really talked about Wentz because he was a bright spot last week and again this week minus the injury. So he's been really good through the first two games. And for all the problems we have with Frank Reich, Reich's bread and butter is getting the most out of his quarterback. So even with the bad offensive line play and not scoring in the red zone, Carson Wentz has been really good and Reich has done a really good job developing him or whatever you want to call it, trying to get him back into his 2017 form. Is he there yet? No, but has he been better than at least what we saw out of him last year? I would say so through two weeks. He's been good. He's been a bright spot on this team during their 0-2 start. So Wentz has been good. Last week, we were so negative, we kind of just skipped right over all the positives besides Zach Pascal, We didn't really talk about any positives last week. We were 
a little sarcastic with the positives. And then we went about 45 minutes straight negatives because it was a tough loss last week and another tough loss today. But to be fair to Carson, he kept us in this game. We lost this game by three points because Carson Wentz kept us in the game. The defense had a big pick. They had a few consecutive series of stops and three and outs in the second half and the pump block scoop and score touchdown in the end zone. So Wentz has been good. I don't want to bypass that. I want to give him credit. As for this team moving forward, it's going to be about the health of Carson Wentz. I'm optimistic that we could beat the Titans next week if Wentz were to play or beat them week eight at home and we could make a run and we could win games and we could find our way into the playoffs. I'm optimistic about that. If Wentz plays, I think the defense is going to get better as the year goes on. I think the offensive line has to be better as long as they could get healthy. We'll get Rhodes back. We'll get Dio. We'll get halfway through the year. T.Y. Hopefully Campbell could give us something because he's just been so injury prone. He missed his 24th game of his career today. He's in year three, week two of year three, and he's already missed 24 games and he's only played in 10 and out of those 10 he's left about three or four with injury so this team has to get healthy they have to stay healthy if they could do that especially Carson Wentz I'm optimistic I am losing faith that Reich will ever lose the stubbornness that he'll ever be able to expand the field and to be able to score points at will when we're inside the 10-yard line. I'm starting to give up because we've had four different quarterbacks and each quarterback's had the same problem. Each offense has had the same problem and it's been scoring in the red zone, scoring touchdowns when we are first and goal 10 yards to go to score touchdowns. When the field shrinks, this offense struggles and it's primarily been because of the play calling and the style of this offense and this head coach's offense through four years in Indianapolis. But if Wentz could stay healthy, I'm optimistic. The only problem, Jason, is can he? We are two weeks in. He already has an injury. In the preseason, he had a surgery. Throughout his career, he's had injury after injury. And I just don't know if we could trust him. And it's not entirely his fault because the offensive line has been abysmal through two weeks. So I think the offensive line will get better. You get Braden Smith back and you get this group healthy. Fisher played yesterday. You get healthy. They should be better, but you get a guy hit as much as he's been hit. I saw that he's on pace to be hit more than Luck's ever been on pace to be hit in his career, which is awful because Andrew Luck got hit a lot behind those Ryan Grigson offensive lines. And we poured a lot of money into this offensive line. Nelson's going into, what, the fourth year of his deal, his rookie deal, so he's going to make a lot of money. Kelly got a new deal last year. Braden Smith just got a new deal, even though he didn't play yesterday. You bring in Fisher. Glowinski's, I think, on the last year of his three-year deal, but this whole offensive line, they're making a lot of money. They have to be better. So I'm optimistic, Jason, that this team could turn it around, but their coach cannot be stubborn, and the quarterback has to stay healthy. I do think the offensive line will get better. I think the defense will get better. I think Darius Leonard will be much better as the season goes on, but the health of Carson is basically what this season is going to boil down to, and he's already injured through week two, and he had a surgery before the season even started. So if this is going to be a theme, and every couple weeks he's going to be banged up and he's going to be missing time, silver lining, you get that first pick, but this is not going to be a team that's in the playoffs, especially because we saw last year the margin for error for AFC teams trying to make the playoffs 
is so crucial. It's so small because there's so many good teams, even with the extra game, even with the extra spot. Last year, we almost missed the playoffs at 11-5, and five, so I want to be optimistic, but we're going to need Wentz probably for 17 games if we want to make the playoffs, and next week is already in jeopardy. I'll be honest, Luke, I'm a lot more down than you are about this team. I mean, I, my expectations are really floor level now because the problem is we have so many injuries and they're piling up, okay? Best case scenario, Wentz plays this week. Does he even make it through the game? Probably I not. mean, uh, because our offense can't block anybody right now. And and listen, people are talking about how bad the Titans' defense is. Their line ain't no joke. They've got Danico, They've got Jeffrey Simmons. they got Bud Dupree. They've got players on that D-line that we're going to have to account for. So it's not going to be a walk in the park for our, for our offensive line in this game coming up with Tennessee. So even if he's able to play, the Colts have got to find a way to take some of this pressure off of him. They didn't run the ball again today. They didn't run it very well. You know, they didn't give him a lot of rhythm passes. They didn't give him a, a lot of, pass, you know, three-step passes. They, they So they, they're putting him in harm's way. They didn't give him a lot of help. I just – I don't feel good about this team at all right now. They, they, they seem to lack leadership as an overall tenor. For, for right now, the way they're playing, they're just doing things that losing teams do. They're finding ways to lose the game. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I mean, we're going to get into the offense, and, and Wentz was fine, but Jesus, man, we are bad inside the 10-yard line. I mean, Reich, and, and Reich, when he is in and goal situations, is a disaster, a absolute disaster. Yep. And we talked about it last week, too, when the field shrinks and we're goal to go or we're in the red zone – Reich gets sucked into a vacuum and we shrink the field. But just as far as my optimism, just to expand and explain a little bit, we expected to get blown out in this game, right? A lot of people expected the Colts to lose this game. A lot of Colt fans had the Rams scoring 30 plus points, the Colts scoring maybe 20 or less, and this being more of a blowout, not a game where we got robbed of a game time game winning opportunity drive by our quarterback exiting the game with the ankle injury. So I'm completely on board of this team being awful and missing the playoffs if Carson's not good to go. If he And that's obviously a huge question mark, not just moving forward throughout a 17-game season, but just next week alone. And next week, arguably, you go 0-3 and the Titans are 2-1 and, and they beat you head-to-head. -head. And you look at the wild card situation last year, if you were to get a similar result this year, it's going to be damn near impossible. You know, it's going to be very, I don't want to say impossible, but very, very difficult to make the playoffs. My optimism really stems from expecting to get blown out in this game, right? And the Rams being super, super talented, having a coach who's 10 times better than our coach in McVay, a much more open, spacious offense. They have so much talent with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and the addition of Matt Stafford at quarterback this offseason. This is a team I expect to be competing for a Super Bowl this year, the Los Angeles Rams. They came into this game fully healthy. This is not an excuse, but when we're down T.Y. and we're down Dio and we're down Campbell and we're down Braden Smith and we have all these injuries and we left 14 points, at least let's say 10 points or at least like 6, 10 points on the field inside the 10 yard line. We left all those points on the field. We got out coached and our talent, despite all the injuries versus their roster, fully healthy, turned out to be a three point loss with 
us getting ripped off and robbed our last possession offensively by Wentz leaving the game with the ankle injury. We could have tied it. We could have taken the lead. Would we have taken the lead? Most likely not because we just struggled to score touchdowns, but at least it would have been nice to have that opportunity, which we didn't have. So that's where my optimism comes from. I'm not just blindly optimistic. Oh, I'm a Colt fan and I think the Colts are going to be great. No, no, no. This is bad. This is a bad start. This is going to be difficult to climb out of this hole especially if we lose next week. If we win next week, there's really no hole. We're one and two. The Titans are one and two. We own the head-to-head. We're in first place as far as I'm concerned. That will be the situation if we win next week. But Carson's going to have to play next week for us to have a chance in that game. As for the goal-to-go situations, this has been an issue year one, year two, year three, and now year four. Four different quarterbacks. And it's funny because I cut Reich a lot of slack for the quarterbacks, but it doesn't matter who the quarterback seems to be each and every year. It's an issue for this offense. And I don't mind running it three times, run, run, run. We pride ourselves on our line, even though it's been bad. We pride ourselves on Jonathan Taylor. We took him in the second round. He's a power back. I'm okay running it three times from the one yard line, because I believe if you run it three times or hell four times, eventually, as long as you don't lose three or four yards, eventually you'll get it. Just the law of averages will work out into your favor. So I didn't even mind that. If anything, the bootleg on fourth down bothered me more. I wanted to go for it because I think back to last week, I'd rather have gone for it on the first drive and then kick the field goal down 11 because when you're down 11, it's a two-possession game. So I would kick it and make it eight rather than go for it and then not even have the ball two more times the rest of the game. You didn't even have enough possessions to score enough points to tie or take the lead in that game. So in my opinion, last week you have to kick it the second time, but go for it the first time. So I liked going for it. I just didn't love the fourth down call or the personnel. But then the second trip on the goal line, we throw that ridiculous shovel pass. Why are you shrinking the field? You're getting beat up on the line, and now you're going to shrink the field. You're going to give Donald an opportunity to make a play. You're not going to spread it out. You're not going to go wide. You're going to pack everything into a condensed ball, and that makes it more difficult on the quarterback. Whether it's Luck, Jacoby, Rivers, Wentz, it makes it much more difficult because you can't breathe. It's suffocation. Reich suffocates his own offense by making everything so friggin' tight all the time. So that shovel pass inside, and you're also throwing that shovel pass to a six foot six man. You have six seven Moali Cox, you have six six Doyle, you have six five Strawn, you have six four Pittman who had a great game, Pittman was fantastic, and you don't throw a jump ball, you don't throw a fade, you don't spread it out, what do you do? You shrink the field, and you throw a shovel pass inside, giving them opportunities. When you have a big man posting up on the block, you don't throw him a bounce pass or a chest pass, you lob it up top, you play above the rim, and Reich is playing below the rim, he's rolling. He's playing bowling, he's almost rolling the ball to his six foot six. And it would be better if we rolled the ball because it couldn't have gotten picked. Instead, we throw this soft little chest pass, this little shovel pass inside, and the ball gets picked off. So we have two opportunities to score points, and we score zero points. So talent-wise, roster-wise, even with the injuries, 
We're pound for pound, toe for toe with one of the most talented rosters in the National Football League. Because ultimately, coaching is holding this team back. So it's very, very frustrating because I feel like coaching hasn't been an advantage for the Colts since 2008. Or if you want to say with the interim head coach, 2012 with Arians, but full-time, our full-time head coach, it hasn't been an advantage since 2008 with Tony Dungy where we really had the advantage at head coach. I thought Sean McVay destroyed Reich yesterday and you had multiple opportunities inside the 10-yard line, and you don't score three points each time, or three points one time and zero points one time, or one touchdown and one turnover. You score zero points, goal to go, and two opportunities, and you're trailing 10-6 at the half. Inexcusable. It can't happen. You have to put points on the board. This has been a four-year issue with Frank Reich, and it's inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. Yeah, no question. And listen, I actually disagree with you on the first drive. I I like them going for it, but Frank does things I just don't understand. I mean, like the bringing in the fullback, the, the, you know, going heavy, like it's the same thing Pagano used to do. The phone booth thing where you're, where all 11 guys are in a box and there, we don't have enough guys to block. I would rather, especially with our offense playing like hot garbage, our offensive line, I mean, I would rather have three wide receivers in the game to make the spread the field out and spread their defense out. Maybe use some, you know, use some motion, do something, but it's all vanilla loop. It's all the, no, you're right. You're right. It's all too tight. It's all, you know, they, okay, we're going to go even heavier with the, with the defensive lineman at fullback. I mean, or or actually I think it was a linebackers. Well, really what I'm talking about, Jason is more so running the ball three times. Cause you're a hundred percent right about the packages. I didn't even get into that. You're right. We went too heavy, and that gets back into what I was saying about the shovel pass the following series later in the game when we threw the shovel pass. It all goes to the same theme of Reich shrinking the field and packing everything in tight and making it more difficult. If your offensive line struggling, spread it out. So, yeah, you could put the receivers on the field. I totally agree. We should have done that, but you could still run the ball. So I was getting more at, I don't mind run, run, run. I actually would have rather have had run, 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 run and run it again on fourth because I think law of averages eventually play out into your favor when you have a running back like Taylor and you have Quinn Nelson, you have Ryan Kelly. I don't mind the three straight runs. You're on the one freaking yard line. Run the ball three straight times or four straight times. I don't mind that. It's definitely more about personnel packages and suffocating your own offense. Yep. And that was the game. That's the game. People can talk about the defense, but listen, the Rams were going to score points. I thought the defense was okay. Wasn't great, but wasn't horrible. They held them under 30. They've had a pick. Um, the offense, the, the the one for four in the red zone. That's the game. That is the game. You're not going to hold that offense to to seven points. Like people were losing their mind over how bad our defense was and all this other stuff. The defense was not great by any stretch, but it played well enough to win. And you know, if we could just convert. And, and Luke, I hated that fourth down call. The the rollout with Carson that we lost eight yards yeah. on on the sack, the fourth down. Yep. Because there was only one option. There was one guy out in the route. Like everybody else, there were three options. The other two options were going the opposite direction that the momentum was carrying Wentz because he's he's bootlegging out. There was only one guy, and he was covered. That's a horrible play call. He's got to have options. Otherwise, you're asking him to throw all the way across his body, which is a cardinal rule of quarterbacking that you don't do. So he basically has one option, and we didn't block anyway. So – I, I mean, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, run it, run Taylor again, and don't put a linebacker in front of him. Just let him run it. 
You know, put an extra receiver out there. Do something. But, dude, it, it's not even it's, – it's, it, it's – I have no problem with the aggressiveness. It's he doesn't change anything. Nope. Like, if you – just take away your fandom. If you watch that Rams offense, all the motion, all the little things they do, the shifts and all that stuff, and the way they did everything to manipulate our defense – it's all stuff Frank doesn't no. do. Jason, let me ask you a question. If you took Cooper Cup and you took Woods and you put them on the Colts, would the Colt fans today that were complaining that we don't have playmakers complain that we didn't have playmakers? Uh, Probably. Because, because wouldn't we, we not use them properly? Like, like, yeah, because, like, uh, go, go, go. Where was Hines? Exactly. Where was Mo Ali Cox? Exactly. And last week, where was Paris Campbell? That's that's the problem. McVay gets the ball to his playmakers. It can be quick, you know, jet sweep. It can be a throw, a short throw, a screen. They killed us with that screen. We didn't do any of that. Nope. I mean, you've got Naheem Hines. What did he have? One carry? Did they even th- like three receptions? Maybe I, I don't even know if he even had a. Re- I don't even remember calling his name. I'll honestly. check quick. But I mean, one carry, five yards, and one reception, seventeen yards. Unbelievable. Two targets, so it's not like he had ten targets and he only caught one pass. We only targeted him twice. It's ridiculous, dude. It's I mean, and listen, we have the playmaker thing. You can throw that crap out the window. We have playmakers. Pittman had over a hundred yards. Pascal's got three touchdowns. Mo Ali Cox. They don't use him right. They do not use him correctly. They don't use Naheem correctly. They don't use Paris Campbell correctly. And this is all on Frank Reich. It's all on Frank Reich. Why isn't Naheem in there? Like, you know, mix it up a little bit on the goal line. Maybe put Naheem in the slot. Run a jet sweep with him. Or fake a jet sweep and throw it. I mean, you can do so many different things. And we're so vanilla. It's driving me crazy. Yeah, and it's super frustrating because I think Reich is better than this. I think he's a better coach than this. I think he's smarter than this. And somebody asked me the other day or the other week, what is it with Reich? Like, why is Reich struggling in these situations? I said, well, first off, he's stubborn. But when you look at Reich, it's not all bad. And this is the biggest fundamental difference between Chuck Pagano and Frank Reich. What was Pagano good at? What was his specialty? What was he a lead at that made him a head coach in the National Football League. Not a good coach or a great coach. Like, what just made him a head coach? Why did he elevate his status to head coach of one of the 32 teams in the NFL? I honestly couldn't tell you. He stumbled into a defensive coordinator job. He was a DC for one year with Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, and he got lucky. He got a head coaching job. He got lucky that Andrew Luck was the first pick that year, and he got lucky that Andrew Luck carried him to 33 wins and three playoff appearances his first three years in the league, and it still wasn't enough to get him a second head coaching job because he was an awful head coach. He was an awful coach, period. Frank Reich is elite at a few things and a few very important things. The most important position on the field is the quarterback. He gets the most out of his quarterback. He develops his quarterback. He gets the most out of his quarterback. That is huge. Even Jacoby in 2019, we got off to a 5-2 and two start. He got the most out of Jacoby. Last year, he resurrected the final year of Phillip Rivers' career. You go back 
Andrew Luck in 2018 coming off the torn labrum. And even the first two games here, it hasn't been quite 2017 Wentz, but we've seen an improvement from 2020 Wentz to 2021 Wentz, despite an awful offensive line through two weeks in Indianapolis. So Reich is elite at developing his quarterbacks, at preparing his quarterbacks to play. He is the best, one of the best in the league. McVay is also very good, and we saw it yesterday, at scripting the first 15 plays at designing plays, not all the plays. He also designed that fourth down play on the goal line, which was atrocious. But he's a good play designer. He's an elite quarterback developer. But he's not a great play caller. He loses track of the flow of the game. He struggles with clock management. And when you break it all down, at the end of the day, I think we just described a really good offensive coordinator who won a Super Bowl without calling plays. And that's exactly what Frank Reich was in Philadelphia. He developed Carson Wentz. He prepared Carson Wentz. He developed Nick Foles. He prepared Nick Foles. He designed a lot of the plays in that playbook. I think he was the one who came up with the Philly special. And Doug Peterson was the guy who was calling the play. So that was a nice marriage they had. And that's what Frank Reich was. And he excelled in that role. So he's valuable. He's a valuable asset. He's a guy you definitely want on your coaching staff. And he's gotten the most out of his quarterbacks in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, there are certain situations where he loses feel for the game. And he just sucks the offense. And he just makes everything claustrophobic and tight. And this has been a constant issue now through four years. And it's funny, Jason, because I always give Reich a break for having four different starting quarterbacks in four years. You go from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz. That's difficult as a coach and an offensive coordinator or a play caller to have four different starting quarterbacks in four years. You don't have any you lose chemistry, you lose that cohesive bond between coach and quarterback, and every year he's had to start over, start over, start over. It's almost like a college coach who goes from senior to senior to senior, and you just keep losing the quarterback that next year. But although I give Reich a break for having different quarterbacks, it's also an interesting variable because when you're doing a science experiment and you change, like, okay, we're going to have this potted plant, we're going to give it sunlight, we're going to get water, we're going to give it all the nutrients and everything it needs to grow. And then this one, we're going to give it everything, but we're going to do it in a dark room. So the variable is, okay, sunlight made this flower grow more than that flower. Well, the quarterback variable has changed every year in Indianapolis. And one thing that has stayed the same has been Reich and the play calling. So for us to have the same issues year one to year two to year three to year four in the red zone and goal to go situations, that falls on the head coach and the play caller of this offense because you can't say, well, it was just Jacoby or it was just Phillip Rivers or it's just Carson Wentz or even Andrew Luck in that 6 nothing game against the Jaguars. Very similar situations. The one constant that hasn't changed with this offense has been the head coach. That's the variable that has been locked and loaded for the last four years. So I think having a different quarterback every year makes it harder on the coach. And I definitely want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it also, when you have reoccurring issues and you have the same issue over and over and over, I think it does actually make it a little bit easier to find out what and who is the problem when the offense struggles in goal to go situations. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, he he's been like this since his rookie year. Uh, his in-game feel leaves a lot to be desired. It's really befuddling to me watching us play and how much he struggles after the first drive to really adjust to what teams are doing to him. For somebody that's been in the game since, I mean, 
19 so he's probably been playing since 1970s he knows the game as well as anybody but he just doesn't adjust well he's not super creative it's funny to me on the on the on goal line plays he brings in 15 heavy bodies but whenever his you know tackles are getting murdered and you know our quarterbacks getting you know just thrashed he refuses to bring in tight ends to help or to chip with the back he, he just refuses to change. He's too stubborn. Coaches that are great are guys that evolve, that understand their weaknesses, that study their weaknesses, and see how they can be better. He's clearly not doing that. I mean, because if he was, things would be cha- he would be trying different things. He clearly believes that all these things that he's doing – that are failing are the right things. And they've been failing, Luke, for four years. Yeah, well, that's the definition of insanity. Exactly. And we're and, and I'll tell you right now, it's very frustrating to watch. When they get inside the tent, I mean, there is no imagination. They don't – it's either, you know, phone booth football, like when Chuck and, you know, it, when you need a, a yard and there's, tw- you know, 11 guys within, you know, four yards and you can't get it. You lo- I mean, because you don't have enough guys to block. You know, you're not – like – the, the, you watch other teams, they spread the field even at the goal line because that, you know, you, you're giving them something else to think about. Then you run motion because it makes them think. If you just line up in a phone booth with a bad offensive line and say, we're going to beat you, nine out of ten with ten with this offensive line, you lose. So he's not adjusting. I'm frustrated. I'm not saying, you know, putting three receivers in the game and, running motion is suddenly going to fix our offensive line, but I think it would take some of the pressure off because then they've got to bring in different personnel to cover our receivers. So, and then you try running the ball because there's not 12, 11 guys in that small area. You've got corners out there. You probably got nickels out there. So for me, the, the first two games, you know, the defense was not great and Fluce has been ripped by everybody on Twitter. And to a certain extent, I agree because he's got to be the guy that gets them prepared. But at the end of the day, the reason why I feel like we've lost these two games is our offense has not been good in the red zone. And that's the bottom line. Yep. I agree. Also, in this era, and I'm not saying we have a great defense. I'm not saying Fluce has done a great job. The first half of the Seattle game was awful. The second half of the Seattle game was good. Today, the first half, it's a 10-6 game. We kicked two field goals. We had, and one field goal came off the defense getting a pick and giving us a short field. Couldn't turn it into seven, turned it into three. So that's almost the defense score. Like when you look at this game, we scored 24 points. 10 of them were defense and special teams. One of our touchdowns came on the block punt or the muff punt on their half. And then EJ Speed making a nice play, knocking it away. And then Doolin jumping on top of it in the end zone. That was half our offense there for the entire game. The offense scored one touchdown. Special teams scored a touchdown. I think back to Frank Reich's first year, that playoff game against the Chiefs, a block punt touchdown was half our offense that game. Today, same thing. Half our offense came from a great play on special teams. One of our field goals came off a short field on the turnover interception by Kari Willis. Halftime, it's 10-6. Holding that Rams offense to 10 points is a good half defensively. Yes, they went right down on their first drive, but then the next two drives, we get a pick, we hold them to a field goal. It's a good half. You hold them to 10 points or you hold them to 20 points for the game, you should win that game. Our offense today didn't even put up 20 points. They put up, I guess, 16 or 17, depending on how you look at that with the two-point conversion. But it was special teams making a big play 
It was the defense making the stop, making the you know creating the turnover in the first half, and then in the second half getting three consecutive three and outs. So the defense hasn't been great, but you're talking about a Rams offense that's going to end up probably first or second this year in points or total offense. They'll probably be top five or at least second or third behind Kansas City. They have a really good offense, great offensive mind in McVay. The addition of Stafford, I think he's going to get better and they're going to get better each and every week. So they're going to end up scoring 30 points per game, 31 points per game this year. I think they're going to be a high-powered offense, tops in the league in points. And we held them to 10 in the first half. And at halftime, people were complaining about the defense. You got to be That's, fair. Are you kidding me? Is that is that true? Yeah. That on, Twitter. on Twitter, yeah. People were complaining at halftime about the defense because it was 10-6. And I said, our defense has allowed 10 points. Our offense has scored six. And it's not 1982. It's 2021. And we had multiple drives inside the 10-yard line that resulted in zero points. Yeah, Luke, one thing I would say, and listen, the only real issue I had, because the Rams scripted their plays too, and they went right down the field and they scored, and that was unsettling but not unexpected because usually that's how the Rams come out. I mean, McVay does the same thing Wright does. My biggest issue with the Colts' defense today, I had one issue with it. We finally, we're down 17-6. We finally get the lead. Mm Mm-hmm. And we immediately just let them go right down the field for a mm-hmm. touchdown. Like, I mean, hot butter through whatever that knife through hot butter. I mean, it was no resistance at all. That was disheartening to me. I, I, I didn't think Flus did a great job of accounting to where Cooper Cup was. I would have done something to take him out of the game. He killed us. He absolutely killed us. And that was the one drive where I'm like, okay, we got like we I was I was amped. I was like, we got the we got the the touchdown, we got the lead, we finally have the lead. And and they just I mean, and we had the momentum, the crowd was in it, everybody was ready, rocking, everybody's ready, and, and we just go out there and lay that. I mean, it was just a horrible drive. And I mean, and I'm not taking anything about away from the Rams, but the Colts keep saying they want to be an elite defense. An elite defense stops them there. Yeah. And they did not get it done. Oh, I don't see an elite defense right now. I think the defense has been average. No, they're saying they want, they want No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, basically, Jason, what I'm saying is, if people think I'm defending the defense, I'm defending the defense because I feel like the takes I'm reading are so batshit crazy that I have to play the oh, opposite yeah. side of the card when I really don't want to. I want to say the defense has been average. They've been average. They've gone about, listen. You're talking about real. You're talking about Russell Wilson, who's one of the best, and, and Matt Stafford, who I think has a legit chance to win MVP this year. I think he's going to have a special season with a great offense. So they're going against the best, the best of the best. Two great play. Well, I wouldn't say great play callers in Seattle, but a great quarterback, a great play caller with the with the Rams, and they hung in there, man. You're not always going to have you know, shut teams down to 13 points. The league is, it's not designed that way. Mm -hmm. It's not designed for the defense to win. You know what I mean? It's designed for the offenses to win. So, but you know, I agree with you, man. It's like, uh, it's like these people didn't sit through the Pagano era. I mean, yeah, we're not giving up 40, 45 points. I mean, we did that 30 times with Pagano. Exactly. This is an average defense right now. We have, Certain players that can make this defense elite, it's not there right now. Flus has not done a great job 
through two weeks. Somebody asked me after the game on Twitter, who do you blame for this? And you can't just blame it on one guy. Eventually, no. year one to year two to year three to year four, the guy who's going to take the most heat and we're certainly giving him a lot of heat is the head coach because a lot falls on the head coach. It's just the way it is, the head coach and the general manager. And eventually, if positive results don't start pouring in, eventually we're going to ask ourselves, is it the head coach not getting the most out of the roster or is it the roster failing the head coach or is it both? I tend to think that Ballard's done a very good job building this roster. Is it perfect? No. Did he address backup tackle to the best of his ability? No. Like, there's definitely holes. But ultimately, I think the bigger issue is the head coach holding back the roster than the roster letting down the head coach. And then in certain situations, like you go back to the Pagano-Grigson era, it was both. The roster was awful. The coach was awful. They were both letting down the quarterback. The quarterback was phenomenal. And now... It's like a mixture of trying to find the right quarterback the last couple of years, having a couple stop gaps. Now, hopefully Wentz is the guy and now a coach that seems to be holding back the roster because you look at this roster, you have all pros up and down it. You have pro bowlers up and down it. a lot of homegrown guys, a lot of really good football players. I think this roster is really good. I don't care what other people, experts and analysts and all these people think. I look at this roster. I see a very good roster. Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore. We have good players on this football team and in a variety of different positions. Ultimately, it's going to fall on the coaching staff and the coach because somebody has to be held responsible. It's either going to be eventually it's going to be the general manager or the head coach. If you don't get positive results and you're not a team that's making the playoffs and getting to an AFC championship, which we haven't been to since 2014, or getting to a Super Bowl, which we haven't been to since 2009. So eventually those results need to be shown. You have to have something to show for it. You can't just, oh, he had a great draft. He had a great draft. He had a great draft. Oh, Frank Reich's such a genius. He's a great play caller. He's a great this. He's a great that. He designs great plays. Eventually it has to come together and you have to win. And if it doesn't, somebody's going to have to be blamed for it. So I feel like a lot of people right now are at that weird split where you're eventually going to have to make a decision. Which way are you going to fall? I'm definitely going to lean towards Ballard being the guy who's really good at his job and Reich holding back the roster. But as far as one game goes, one game is never on one person, one player, one coach. It's on Reich. It's on Eberflus. It's on the players. It's on Darius Leonard for not having a good game or having a bad game and then making one good play at the end of the game, which was a game-changing play and gave the Colts a chance to win this game and holding them to a field goal with a big tackle for loss. But ultimately, the players have to make plays and they didn't make enough today. And the coaches need to put them in the best possible positions to make plays. And it just was a combination of so many different things. The injury to Wentz, the offensive line play, how piss poor the offensive line was, not helping in certain spots, not doubling Donald in certain spots, the goal line plays. I mean, you could go on and on and on, but it's not just on one guy, one person, one coach, one GM, one player. It's on pretty much everybody. Like This was a complete team loss, more so on the offense, I would say, than the defense because you hold – the Rams to 27 points and seven of your points offensively came from special teams anyway. it's de This was definitely a team loss. It's not like we held them to three points and we lost 3 nothing, and you could just totally blame the offense. 
Yeah, for me, the elephant in the room for me is the offensive line. I, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how they're this bad. You know, we had who, – who played for us last year? Like Valdir, Valdir played for us last year and was okay. I mean, Davenport, man. I, those two – I saw two play like uh, I was blocking them. I mean, and there was no help over there. The offensive line, and I listened to Quentin after the game, and I wholeheartedly agree with him. It's unacceptable. Like Frank will, Frank will come out and give you the, you know, the cliches kind of like Chuck did. You know, we got to play better. Blah blah blah. I'm with I'm with Quentin. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable that we can't get one damn yard from the one yard line with our offensive line. It's unacceptable that our quarterback's getting hit this much. It's unacceptable that we did not win that game today. That we really, we got the lead. We really should have won, you know. And if you get in the end zone to start the game, it's a totally different game. But we couldn't get one yard. And that's unacceptable. That would be the word that I would use to describe the offensive line right now. It's unacceptable. It has to be fixed. And they said they're going to get a fix. Quentin vowed they're going to get a fix. And if there's one guy I believe on this team, it's probably him. Because mm-hmm. he might be able to scare those guys into playing better. I don't know. But – I mean, that's the problem. At the end of the day, Reich is bad at certain things, and we're just going to have to deal with that for now. But the offensive line has got to be better. They have got to be better. I mean, I was never expecting it to be this bad. Never. I knew it was going to be a struggle, but I thought, okay, we get Fisher back. We move Davenport to right tackle. It's not going to be as bad. We give him a little help, and he's fine. We gave no help. They had, you know, they had Donald over there. They had moved Donald all over the – all over the line like we said they would because they're not idiots. And they had them lined up on, you know, they had them lined up on, I think, Fisher and Davenport a lot of the game. So, um, you know, for me, that's the biggest thing that's got to get fixed. And the only guys that can fix it are in that room or Chris Ballard if he goes out and gets somebody. But now, you know, as far as just looking forward, if you're religious, pray. If you're not religious, send good vibes to, to – Carson Wentz, because I'm telling you right now, if Jacob Eason has to start games, and I haven't said this publicly, but I know some stuff going on behind the scenes, it's not going to be pretty. I'm just going to tell you that straight up. It's not going to be pretty, and what I mean by that is we're not going to win a lot of games. So pray for Carson Wentz to get healthy. That is the most important thing. Way more important than winning or losing this game. Yeah. Because Also, Jason, I just think it's – the emphasis of next week, of who we're playing next week. Because 0-3, with them sitting, the Titans sitting at 2-1, and one, to me, yeah, is the done. season. Yeah, man. I mean, listen. I just feel like this was a game where we were outcoached. We were outplayed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But we hung in there. We had some things break our way. Although, before we end the show, I want to ask you about something. The play where the kid got ejected for making contact with the ref, did they give Zach Pascal a personal foul for waving? I was very they, confused by that, to be honest. And we kind of got screwed over with the yardage because we yeah, went half the distance, but we backed up 10 up, yards. So yeah. they ended up, I think, I think they pushed us back on it, even though what they did was so much worse than what we did. But that's just another know, ridiculous NFL rule. Yeah, well, what happened was, I just wanted to bring this up because I thought this was insane. Because I didn't 
didn't even think you, you could even be penalized for this. What happened was the kid went and was arguing with the ref. The ref throws him out of the game. Zach Pascal just waves by like if you saw Jalen Ramsey at the end of the game when he got the interception. He ran down into the end zone and waved by to our whole entire fan base. There was no penalty on that. He waved by to the guy that just damn near punched a referee, and he gets un- unsportsmanlike conduct for that? And then because of the order it happened in, the the guy got the you know thrown out. He touched the ref, thrown out of the game, and then he did it after he got thrown out of the game, because the the our penalty was second. It was enforced second, so therefore we were further back. It made no sense, and it's just a stupid rule. You can't wave. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Dude. But that's and, the and NFL that, for it, you. Remember that kid. The backup running back, I think maybe it was Benny LeMay or one of our backup oh, yeah, running backs. Oh, yeah, preseason where he got up and he just flexed. Yeah, and, and he's he not goes. making a lot of money either. That was like half his salary or something, maybe even more. I think if he got cut by a certain date, the fine was more than what he was making to attend training camp or something absurd like that. And that's just the NFL having a terrible rule. But speaking also, of Zach Pascal, Jason, he's on yeah. pace for 25.5 touchdown receptions this year. And I just want to say he's been fantastic. He's been the only bright spot in the red zone for this team. And, and he's not he, a playmaker. He's not a playmaker because <laughs> the Colts don't have playmakers. And I also just wanted to say to all the people over the summer or at any point in time that disrespected him, this was an undrafted free agent. This is a guy who yep. is tough as nails. He's durable as all hell. He's not immune to injury. He's played through injury after injury after injury. And he's always there. He's always available. People this morning were talking about him or Paris Campbell, who they would rather have. At the end of the day, the best ability is availability. And you're not talking about a one-game difference or a two-game difference. You're talking about a guy who has never missed a game since becoming a Colt and becoming a starter and becoming a everyday player for the Colts. And you're talking about a guy who has played in 10 out of 34 games. That's a massive difference. Paris Campbell missed his 24th game of his three-year NFL career or two-year and two-week NFL career. Meanwhile, Zach Paschal, he's not flashy. He's not sexy. He was undrafted. Every single week he shows up, if he has turf toe, if he has a tweaked ankle, if he has a bad hamstring, if he has whatever it might be, he shows up every single week. He's got a little Phillip Rivers in him. It doesn't matter what's going on with his body. He's out there. He's on the field. And when you need him to step up, he steps up and makes plays. He's been a really nice piece and a nice under-the-radar piece on this offense now going on, what, three, four years. He's been here since Reich's been here. So that's I think this is his fourth year and his role – has grown every year and he's gotten better every year with the faith and the opportunity that he's been given. Yeah, absolutely. I love Zach Pascal. I think he's the type of guy that you make a that you make a captain. Honestly, he's he's great. You see him playing catch with kids before the game. Yep. He plays every. I mean, he plays his ass off. He never takes plays off. You know, he catches everything thrown his way for the most part. He shows up. He's always there for his teammates. I mean, he's a he's a he's a cult man. That's. When you want to talk about what a Colt is, a guy like that is a Colt. He came from, you know, a small school. He was cut twice. He makes this roster, and I think he made it as a special teams guy and as a receiver, and it's like the sixth, the last guy. And he's just worked his way up the depth chart. He's, what, at three now? Maybe even two. Yeah, probably, probably two, maybe even one, depending on where you are on the field. In the red zone right now, he's the number one guy. 
Absolutely. And, and one other person I wanted to shout out before we get off the show, you know, before we wrap up the show is, is Pitt, man. Mike Pittman Jr. I know people don't know this, but he was really struggling with an ankle injury this week. He goes out there. He's not 100 percent. And most of these guys aren't. But I just his play was so above. It was just so good today. He's so good. Caught everything. Outstanding game from him. I think he had seven catches for over 100 yards, I think, or maybe eight catches. He was outstanding playing through injury and just making plays to keep us in the game. Those are the kind of guys. Those are gamers. Those are the kind of guys that are going to win you games. I really like Pittman. Again, there's some people that think that he's not really going to be the guy or anything like that. I disagree. He's different from what we've seen here. We had Marvin. You know, he was a speed guy. He was electric, and T.Y. was kind of the same to a lesser degree. This guy's more of a Reggie Wayne type guy. He's not a super speedy guy, but he's physical, and he'll go get the ball, and he'll fight. He'll go get it. I like guys that mix it up. Him and Pascal mix it up. They make plays. They're, you could win with those guys. There's no question in my mind. And the more this kid plays, the better he's going to get. Uh, not afraid to go over the middle. There's a lot of things to like about these players, Luke. But at the end of the day, our coach has to find a way to put them in position to be successful. And he's just not doing that. And you look no further than a game like today. Where the hell was Naheem Hines? Where the hell was Mo Ali Khan? You know, we've, we've, I mean, I know I've tried to be fair to Wright. There are, there, there, like, I, I sometimes catch myself comparing him to Chuck in the sense that he's so bad uh, as far as in game and, like, he doesn't have a real feel for anything. The only better, the only good thing about him is he, I do like that he's aggressive and Chuck was such a pussy all the time, either punting from like the 35, you know, just doing stupid stuff. But the one thing, the, the difference is Reich develops quarterbacks, and that's a huge thing in this league. If we could just get one that we could keep healthy or one that's not 40 years old, I think, you know, that could be his legacy. But he's got, like, the biggest thing for me is I've got to see some level of evolution, uh, of growth. There's, there's got to be growth. Like, if you look at Belichick, he, like, every, every great coach – doesn't stay the same now their core principles might say the same as far as discipline and that type of stuff but actual x's and o's they have to evolve because other people younger people are evolving and you have to evolve to stay with them and be able to know how to go against those guys i'm not seeing that from frank and it's starting to really bother me because it's been consistent like this for four years and he's got to understand, like, when there's a super weak spot on your team, be, this right now it be, being the offensive line, other teams are going right at it. I mean, they're going right – they were going right at Davenport today. Yep. And he did nothing to help the kid. Nothing. So – Well, that also goes into out. Reich's bizarro fictional universe where he believes every player is the same. And yep. – when you were like, well, oh, this guy's the best, he's the best, and it's not just coach talk, and you start to believe the coach talk, that's where the problems begin to occur. If you right. go out there and say, oh, this guy's the best, I have all the faith in the world, and all the faith in the world, but then you do something about it, it's like, oh, okay, I see what you did there. I, I, I got you, Frank. You don't want that guy to hear you throw him under the bus but then you're going to put training wheels on the bike. So we know the kid can't ride the bike. You just don't want to say it because you don't want that's the kid to feel all, bad. Luke, that's what every good coach does. Of course. Like Bel Belichick does that all the time. He won't rip a player. No. Nope. But then you'll see him out there and you'll see a tight end next to him 
or yep. and then you'll see a back chipping. So it's not only it's not only just the tight end; it's the back too. Yeah. Coach talk only bothers me when it carries over. Okay, you're gonna talk yeah, that in the press exactly because then it's a concern. Right. Now it's not just hot air for a headline or hot air for Twitter. Now it's oh my god, this is affecting the team because right. now this is insanity. You you don't just say it; you actually believe it. That's the issue. The fans could believe what they want. Kiefer could believe it. Holder could believe it. Bowen could believe it. They could run with whatever they want to run with with the coach talk quote. But when the coach talk quote is believed by the coach and he's dead wrong about the subject, i.e. Davenport, that's a freaking problem because now you have a liability that's been created by A. Ballard not doing a better job I don't want to say addressing tackle depth because he addressed it. He just didn't do a good job addressing it, and he completely neglected it during the draft. But then be the head coach not adjusting and helping out a weak link on his offense. Now you have a weak link at tackle. You don't help the tackle, and it just completely disrupts the entire offense. You're better off putting two guys there, helping him, or you know, putting a second guy there, having two guys there, a guy next to Davenport, helping him. And maybe Carson Wentz isn't injured right now. Maybe we're able to score from the one yard line. Maybe this offense isn't as jammed as it's been through two weeks. So it's frustrating. It sucks. But coach talk, the talk isn't the issue until the talk carries over to the field and it turns into the coach believing himself. I think, Jason, that's the definition of like a, like a true psychopath. Like what's it called? Like a pathological liar. Is that, what, is that yeah, the term? A sociopath. A yeah, sociopath. I mean, like, they believe their own lies. And yeah, well, I think I Reich, in a way, believes his own lies. And Jason, you could take it back to 2019, yep. saying all that Vinatieri. stuff about, about Adam, Adam Vinatieri. And guess what? Yep. He believed that. It's frustrating because I had really high hopes for this team. Not high hopes like Super Bowl hopes, but high hopes like we're gonna get, these young guys are going to get back to the playoffs, get some more experience, and we're not far away. And now I just feel like there's so many things going against us. It's just going to be – it's going to be an uphill climb. And, and the biggest – I mean – the biggest takeaway from today for me is our, you know, our quarterback is, you know, he's hurt. And it do, I don't like there were guys like uh, Doyle and other people like saying, oh, I don't think it's that bad. He look, he, you don't know. Like I've seen guys walk off the field with a torn ACL before. Like you don't know how bad it is. Like he's trying to, you know, like you just don't know until he gets the scan. And that was going to be the next thing I was going to say to you, Luke, that, uh, we're probably going to have some some bad news this week, and there's probably going to be some moves made. I don't know for sure what the bad news or how the level of bad news we're going to get, but I tend to think it's worse than they're acting like because it's the Colts, and it just the hit itself looked gnarly, and uh, just I mean, if, if this shit always happens to Tennessee week. It just, you know, last year was COVID the Tennessee yep. week. This week, th this year, it's we lose our best, our quarterback. Maybe our best player on offense. So, mm. well, not, he's not the best player, but our most important. Most important player. player, exactly. Right. So, like I said earlier in the show, I don't know. I, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to pray for his, his, his leg to heal, his ankle to heal fast. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't. 
whatever you believe, you need to wish that guy well, send him positive vibes, send him positive thoughts, because if we don't have Carson Wentz, we do not have a chance in hell of winning enough games to make the playoffs. That's just factual. There's no other way to say it. Mm-hmm. There's nobody out there that's going to come in the door unless Philly, unless Phil, Phil Rivers does that, but I don't think he's going to. Um, there's nobody like – I mean, we're not winning with Joe Flacco. We're not winning with, with Nick Foles. Nick Foles might be able to run the offense, but he looked washed when I saw him last year. So, uh, I mean, I just think – yeah, he's starting to cut out. Run. He's starting to cut out a little bit, but I think this is the podcast God's telling us to wrap it up anyway. This happened, I think this happened last week on the game recap as well. But yeah, I agree. Let's see if you're back. Are you back? Can you hear me? Nah, you're still cutting out, but it's all right. We'll, we'll wrap this up anyway. Yeah, it just sounds like you're in like a, kind of sounds like you're talking into like a soup can. But yeah, I agree. Nick Foles, I think that's probably the most likely thing. If they were to make a move, it would be Foles because he knows the terminology. He could come in. He could probably play next week. But, yeah, like Cam Newton looked washed last year. He doesn't know the terminology. Joe Flacco looked washed. He doesn't know the terminology. So, like, there's a lot of those. I like Gardner Minshew. I don't know if he gets traded twice. The Eagles traded for him for a reason. So, I don't know if they turn around and trade him to us. But yeah, there's not a lot of good options out there, and there's not supposed to be because you're going into week three. So you're supposed to have your backup solidified. So if you don't think Jacob Eason could do it, then and Jacoby played today as well, and he did not, <laughs> he didn't have a very good game. I saw he was 24 for 40 and a pick or a couple picks, no touchdowns. For like 125 yards, he had like 14. Yeah, I saw that. It was one of the <laughs> lowest yards to passing attempts I've ever seen. I think they lost 35 nothing. so not a good that's showing. My, that's our Jacoby. <laughs> that's our Jacoby. And I wish him the best. I like Jacoby. Again, guys, I like Jacoby, but, you know, that's what it is. So, yeah, Jacob Eason, you know, if you carry him, you got to expect him to be ready. So I feel like he'll be the starter next week if Wentz can't go. We'll talk about this more during the week on the game preview. But obviously not a good spot to be in. So, Jason, I would ask you for your closing remarks, but your mic's not really coming through right now. Wait, wait, wait. Is it okay now? It's it's not. It sounds like you're like a 1,000 miles away. Now? Yeah. Although if you were a player – on the Colts offense, Frank Reich would say, Jason sounds great. He sounds like he's in the living room with me. He sounds like he's talking on a brand new iPhone 15. <laughs> well, let me just apologize to the listeners for my crappy uh, signal. I'll just say that. that. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Thank you, Jason. So we'll be back with the game preview Colts titans maybe we'll even come back before that if there's some like big news with wentz or a quarterback trade or anything crazy like that but expect us to be back wednesday or thursday we'll try to get the preview up a week or a day i should say earlier unless we're waiting on carson news until because it's kind of hard to do a game preview if you don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be so we'll see what happens there but that pretty much wraps it up for the game preview. 0-2 couldn't really be worse than 0-2. Well, I guess it could be worse than 0-2. You could be 0-2 and your quarterback could get hurt. So it's pretty much as bad as it could possibly be. 
through two weeks. The only thing that could be worse is if the Titans were to win last week, but instead they lost last week and they came back from like a 20-point deficit today to beat the team that beat us last week. So thank you, Seattle, for being on the wrong side of history each of the last two weeks for the Colts. So that's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. Hopefully the future is more pleasant than the present for the Colts because the first two weeks have obviously been tough sledding. We'll be back with the game preview on Thursday right here on the For the Culture Podcast.